Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Mr. Hicks Sports Podcast. We are here getting it in once again, time and time again. We are one weekend, seven days, seven shows, and we are still going strong. As in going strong, I mean, I am absolutely exhausted, but still going. Our head is bloodied, but I'm bowed. So I was thinking about uh, a little college football today and um, Texas football was in the news again just recently. They had a pretty good spring game, and uh, the chatter is back. And you know what the chatter is that I mean. Is that uh, is Texas back? Is Texas football finally back? And it made me think to myself, what do you mean back? Like, I understand the programs that are – that were that went on dynasties and are trying to win championships the way that they used to win championships were like example like Nebraska like Nebraska has always had a great great team they were great in the 80s they won a championship in the 90s uh they they've been, they've been a, a strong college football program for a long time Oklahoma was like that Miami in more recent years but Miami's run was really really good uh over uh not, I think it was spanning two decades, but it was over multiple coaches as well. And that's one of those standards that I always like to set when we're talking about college football. Where you, only, if you were, or any sport really, if you were only good for one coach or one player coach tandem, like like were the Bulls great? Yes, the Bulls were great, but the Bulls were great because you had a a, a Hall of Fame coach and you had Hall of Fame players on it. Before that and after that, the Bulls were not a great franchise. So, it's like, so if you can't do it over multiple decades, like some like the Celtics and the Lakers do, then it's just you. Even with like the Spurs, what have you? That's like it's all Pop, Popovich and Duncan. Before and after that, nothing. So, like Miami is one of those teams that is constantly trying to recapture that. Like like the Nebraska did it with Scott Frost. He was a, the quarterback of the last national championship team that they had. He has not had a lot of success since being back there. And Miami uh, had since, same thing. They, they hired Mark Richter, who was on the staff there with their last championship. Manny Diaz was there as well. They hired him right after Mark Richter. And now they've got Mario Cristobal. I believe he played offensive line on one of those teams. And they just keep trying to recapture the magic. You know what I mean? Instead of living in the present, it's just like, you know, a lot, of co- a lot of nostalgia in college football. I get it, but, you know, sometimes time to move on. But the one that I don't get is Texas, because Texas is like, what do you mean back? You have never been that. Texas? Texas fans, they have this notion, this idea. They're more brand than they are team. They're more idea and myth than they are team. So it's like Texas has four national titles in their entire existence, and three of those titles are before 1970. I think one of their more dubious honors is that they were the last team to win a national championship with an all-white team. There's some, you know, there's some definitely some racial undertones there, but um, that's not really part of this particular show. Um, and the last title they won with Mac Brown, I, wonder, I believe it was like 2005, was when they had Vince Young and and Mac Brown, and that was like one of the greatest players in college football history is in the college football hall of fame and um by the way still that that championship game was to me still the greatest national title game of all time matt liner reggie bush landell white uh just just brian cushing amazing players from usc coming off a national championship they're in back-to-back title games lost that one to vince young 
and the Texas Longhorns, but just a fantastic, fantastic game. Um, but that's part of what I mean. It's like they, they're they trying to recapture something as if there's like some great age or dynasty to recapture, and there just never has been that. So like even within the Big 12, they were never really that great. Like the Big 12 has only been in existence since 1996. In that time, Texas has won it three times. They won the conference three times. The first year they won it, they were like eight and five, and they won it. And that three times, that ties them with Baylor. Nobody thinks that Baylor's a football powerhouse, but they've won the conference exactly the same amount of times as Baylor. Meanwhile, Oklahoma has won that conference 13 times over the same time period. And yet, Texas thinks that Texas is the awesome program. Um so this is kind of my thought on big brands in general. When you start, when the brands start to become bigger than the actual team, you start to get a couple of things. Number one is like, this is an organization that makes money whether you win or not. So according to, um, I, that, uh, I was at the Heartland College Sports, let me pull it up real quick. So the website is Heartland College, uh, uh, College Sports, and it says, uh, according to Go Banking Rates, Texas and Texas A&M shared the top spot for most valuable football programs in the nation with an estimated annual value of $147 million. Go Banking Rates used financial information provided by forms, including revenue generated over a three-year average and the start of the 2021-2022 athletic year. That means averages include 2021, which uh, includes the COVID years. So, uh, yeah, fun fact, by the way, the top 10 are either teams in the SEC or teams that are going to be in the SEC. So Texas and Texas A&M are tied at $147 million. After that is Michigan, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, Notre Dame, Florida, Auburn, LSU, Tennessee. So it's like going up to like 12 teams. More than half of those are in the SEC or about to be in the SEC. And by the way, their new TV deal that's coming through is going to pay them somewhere between 35 and $40 million per team. So I don't see that number changing anytime soon. And um, one of the things that I think the problem when you have big brands and big brands is like bigger than the team is you start to get influences from figures that are really non-football people. Like people that have a lot of money, uh, people with a family, politics, stuff like that, start influencing uh, the way that teams run. Uh, in the pros, generally it's families. So you had somebody that bought the team, really cared about the team, and uh, that person either passes away or hands the family business over to his descendants or, or another family member who doesn't know what they're doing, doesn't care about it, doesn't have that same fire edge. That's what's happening with the Lakers, I believe. The Browns were like that. Detroit is like that, the Detroit Lions. Um, the New Orleans Pelicans now are run by the, I want to say like she's the widow of the guy that owned the Saints. And they basically picked up the Pelicans for like a song. It was like a throw-in. They didn't, they, they, and they still don't care about it. I don't know why they don't just sell that team. They don't care about the franchise. Uh, and some don't because it's just, it's something that just continues to appreciate value every single year. It's one of those things where it's like, it's going to be like, if you're a billionaire, why don't you own a franchise? It's going to be like owning a Lexus for uh, somebody just like, okay, like, how come you don't have a Mercedes? I'm like, how come you don't own an NFL team or an NBA team? It's like a status symbol in some places. Um, but the thing is, when college sports 
the problem is generally boosters. And you've got these boosters that went to the school or love the school, it's from their home state, they need a tax write-off. And one of the things that they want to see is they want to see their football team do well, or they want to see their basketball team do well. So they're going to donate lots of money to make this to, to facilitate that winning, but they don't, they're not just giving out of the goodness of their heart. They want to have some say in what goes on. So they want to they want to know what's going on. They want to know who's getting hired. They want to know, you know, they want to have some influence. Like it's time for this coach to go. Um, some of these guys, and well, like Josh Pate over at um, uh, Late Kick Live, one of my favorite shows. I highly recommend you watching this show either on on. He's open on all platforms plus YouTube. Excellent, excellent podcaster. So um, he said, and he heard the rumors. He said some boosters, big boosters, would rather have like a middling team that goes to a bowl game but they have influence with the team than to have a team that wins national championships and they have no influence with the team. So one understand this is kind of what happened with Alabama when Nick Saban came back. So when Nick Saban comes back to college football from uh, uh, the uh, Miami Dolphins, Alabama was in a bad place. They were all over the place. They had big boosters and they had a lot of influence on the program, on the athletic director. Nick Saban comes in and was like, yeah, thanks for the money you can get out now because uh, you won't be telling me how to do anything here. The reason I had to come in here is because of everybody having different ideas as to how this should go. And nobody, there's no flow. There's no congruency. There's no organizational alignment as to what should be done as in who should be hired. I know those things. That's why I was hired. So uh, you all can either stay and uh, contribute to what we're doing, or you can go and kick rocks. And his his philosophy always was they'll be back when we start winning, and he was right. But it's hard to stand up to people who have deep pockets. But you know they do, they pay him a lot of money to do what he does, so he can tell people to go kick rocks. And uh, they have a lot of decision making in the hiring. But in Texas, they have um, you've got your big money players uh, that that uh, the boosters. But then you also have things like um, and this is something I had no idea was so so uh, strong up until a couple of years ago was uh, a high school coaching association. Like I have been privy to because uh, my son is being recruited right now. And we're going to talk to a few coaches and to find out that uh, the high school coaches association can literally all get together and be like, yeah, we're not, um, we're not sending players to Rutgers or we're not sending players to this particular school because we don't like the way that they treated our players. Uh, we don't like, they don't, we don't like the way that they communicate with our coaches. So we're not going to give them access to our kids. We're not going to give them access to our kids film. Uh, they're not going to be able to come to our high school. We're just going to completely freeze that school out. And in Texas, they are particularly strong. So in Texas, when you, when you take a job on in Texas, you're taking on a certain amount of Texas uh, high school coaches to be on your staff. You're going to have a very close relationship with Texas kids. And Texas players, and not only the Texas players, but the, but also the Texas coaches, um, they're it's 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 very important to them that they have that 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 tie and they maintain that control. Um, you know, like if you're Texas a Texas A and M or you're Texas Tech or whatever, like they got a lot of schools from across the country that are trying to come in and take kids out of Texas. So you keeping those close ties and those relationships are very important. So you got to kind of bend to them. Uh, I had no idea, but that it was this strong, but. The Texas High School Coaches Association literally vetoed a job opening. Like Lane Kiffin wanted the Houston job the last time it came open. And uh, the Texas high school coaches were like, nah, we don't like that dude. I mean, maybe it wasn't as simple as that. But the veto, basically, they were like, if if 
you give that job to Lee Kiffin, you're not going to get our support. And uh, they ended up giving the job to Major Applewhite, who was a Midland at best Texas Longhorns quarterback. And he ended up not doing a great job when he got the Houston job. So, you know, that probably did not work out for them. A lot of things you can say about Lane Kiffin. But Lane Kiffin, Lane Kiffin can coach. He definitely knows his offense. And at a school like Houston, he probably would have done really well. So, um, another thing is recruiting. Uh, Texas has some of the best recruits in the country. Texas high school football is a religion. The size and the speed of the kids that come out of Texas is absolutely crazy. And then you had zero, zero recruits from the University of Texas taken in the last draft. That's happened twice in the last 10 years where there were no Texas Longhorns taken in the NFL draft. So it's like, you're not putting dudes in a league. High school kids are going to want to go somewhere else. But they do manage to recruit. So in the last, let's go look, I'm going back to the last six years. In the last six years, the Texas has recruited on average, their average is number 10. That's their, their, their recruiting classes. Uh, and in response to that, uh, just to give you an idea, Clemson is nine. Um, if you hadn't noticed, there's a big difference between those two teams. Uh, Clemson recruits one spot better. They have two national titles. So either Clemson is identifying players much better than Texas is, or Clemson is doing much better with the players that they get. And I'm going to go with the latter because Clemson actually puts dudes in the league and Texas doesn't. So like, uh, so going to the next thing. Like, So now Steve Sarkeesian is uh, the head coach of Texas. Now, Steve Sarkeesian is a great offensive mind. I don't think anybody disputes that. He was the architect of the offense when Alabama transitioned from uh, being a a smash mouth murder ball, ram it down your throat and play great defense team, and try to beat you by six points, to uh, having uh, four wide receivers, having four first round NFL wide receivers on your team and throwing it down the field. Uh, Sarkeesian was the architect of that. He was the head coach at I want to say Washington and then USC. He got fired from the USC job for some personal issues. He was a a uh, pretty good alcoholic, as far as I understand, was showing up to events um, not exactly sober and was eventually let go. And uh, after that, he joined the uh, Nick Saban Coaching Career Rehabilitation Program, which is basically you go on Nick Saban's staff and make pennies, but it's okay because you're still being paid by the last staff that you, that last place you were on, because that's how buyouts work these days. They got to pay you not to work for them. So, so you're still making a million dollars while Nick Saban's paying you like seven cents and um, you're working on his staff and you're being an analyst for his team while his on-field coaches can focus on that and focus on recruiting. So when Lane Kiffin moved on to Florida Atlantic, Sarkeesian just steps up and then uh, it takes over the offense and the offense does great. So, uh, so now Sarkeesian goes and he's a two-time head coach and now he's getting another shot at it at a huge program, which has, real culture issues and has had culture issues for a long time. It's never been an issue of getting talent. It's never been an issue of having local talent. So there are states that have like not, nowhere near the local talent that comes out of uh, Texas, but you know, Georgia, like Ohio, places like that. And they're still uh, in, in much more contention. Notre Dame 
Notre Dame's in freaking Indiana, national brand as well, but uh, not nearly the amount of recruiting that you have in Texas, and Texas still manages to not get it done. So um, one of the things that Alabama seems to be, I mean, uh, pardon me, that Texas seems to be doing is um, collecting Alabama transfers, but not the good ones. They're basically, it's hard to, it's hard to cut it at Alabama. Look, Alabama is the standard. When you're a four or five star and go to Alabama, it's not like when you go to any place else. If you're a four or a five star and you go to Louisville, they they'll they'll do whatever you want to do. They'll treat you like gold. You're a four or five star in Alabama. You're just a football player. That is the standard in Alabama. If you couldn't play, if you were not an elite high school player, you wouldn't be there to begin with. They're not excited by the fact that you're a four or four or five star. Everybody there is a four or five star. You got to compete. And you got to work hard. And not everybody is willing to do that. So just recently, uh, Ajay Hall and um, Jaleel Billingsley, players that were supposed to be contributors to this team this year during their national title run, really fell short. So when John Mechie and when um, uh, Jameson Williams ended up getting hurt, Ajay Hall, the five-star, all-everything wide receiver, dropped some passes and came up really short. So little Billingsley was on the team last year, was supposed to come up big for them, and really didn't. And um, the pressure was on them. They didn't perform. They decided to transfer. And now they're both at Texas. So it's like, so let me get this straight. These guys can't cut it at Alabama. And you want to beat Alabama with players that were not good enough to be to, to, to play in Alabama. And by the way, they play each other in week two of next year. I think that's going to be a fantastic, fantastic game. Cannot wait for that. And um, the Texas, one of the Texas players recently, one of the reasons they was in the news was um, a player named um, uh, Moro Ojomo. Uh, he was asked, I believe, on a, on a, on a podcast, which is, you know, not a, not a good sign he going on podcasts and kind of letting it rip. But, you know, he's he went on uh, on air and told the truth. And I'm really impressed by this young man who was really the type of guy that you want to be on your team. So I'm looking at the Austin American statesman right now who's uh, who had an article about the interview. So um, see, uh, Ojomo is academically brilliant, first-team player uh, with four seasons, 25 starts and 38 career games on his resume. He's from Katy, Texas. So uh, a business and finance major, expected to be a starter again this fall. So this is exactly the type of dude that you want to be the leader on this team. And he calls out the Texas players basically saying they are more interested in doing all the other side things that being a Texas player brings you than they are about preparing to win. So uh, asked when asked last week whether young players listen to him, Ojomo says they're 18 and 22-year-olds that want to chase women, want to chase money, want to chase alcohol, and they don't see the future. They're very distracted by what's in front of them. It's, like, uh, it's such a hard thing, especially guys that haven't been in a winning culture, Ojomo added. Uh, that's why it's very easy for a lot of these powers to keep going because it's established. It's so much more difficult. They always talk about coming here and changing stuff, coming here and changing stuff like it's ingrained. And uh, he continued by saying the players are more worried about being on 6th Street than like balling and making $50 million. $50 million is crazy as hell. I don't know why. And then he goes on to actually call out players by name. Uh, that's probably going a little too far. But 
the first thing they did was they were like, the, the, the administration was like, he's not going to be talking to the media for a while. We're going to shut him down. Even though he was saying something that really needed to be said. And maybe the fact that it's kept in-house is part of the problem. It's the fact that the Texas players, the Texas boosters, the Texas coaches uh, are not willing to face what the real problem is. And the real problem just might be that your your players are not focused. There's, there's a lot of things to do in Texas, a lot of things to do in Austin, a lot of distractions. And if you're not focused on the thing that the things at hand, which is supposed to be winning, then maybe that's the reason why you guys don't win. Maybe why four and five star players come to Texas and Texas never puts it together. And Texas doesn't win because there's so many distractions and there's not enough culture and not enough focus on the things you need to do to win. So when somebody says, is Texas back? My answer is always going to be back to what? No matter how talented they are, this is what they've always been. And this year, they really have all the reason in the world to believe they're going to be good. I don't know what they're going to be defensively, but already they got Quinn Ewers. They got B. John Robinson. They got Xavier Worthy. They have some really talented players on the outside. Uh, if you know anything about college football, you know they're, they're, they're absolutely loaded on offense. And there are teams that have gotten, gotten to the Final Four, basically, on, almost on one side of the ball these days. It could be done. The only question is, can Texas do it? I'm on one side of saying, probably not. That's my show for this evening, y'all. Really having a good time. And let me know if there's any shows that you want to see. Give me some feedback at uh, Mr. Hicks Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I am out.